The views and opinions expressed by various contributors to 98.5 CKWR and its radio programs are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of 98.5 CKWR Wired World, Inc., its broadcasters, staff, or volunteers. Listeners are urged to use their own discernment and draw their own conclusions. Good morning. My name is Rob Daniels, and welcome to Visions in Sound. Now, for those that may be joining me for the very first time, Visions in Sound is a movie, TV, and video game soundtrack program that I produce each and every week right here on 98.5 CKWR. Well, here we are, show number 26 of 2021, and show number 1079, if you're keeping track that way. This week, we conclude, yes, conclude June, with a celebration of the 30th anniversary of Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Now, before I continue with some more information on said Terminator 2, uh, I'd like to uh, I'd like to invite or I'd like to introduce my guest host for the t- tonight or today's show, all the way from Ramsgate, England. That would be Jason Drury. Jason, good morning. It's awesome to have you here, and Glad to be back. And uh, yeah, it's uh, well, it's great to have you here and uh, be able to give us a chat about the uh, Terminator Two and all of the wonderful stuff that goes with it. In any case, I'll just get into a little bit, and then we can talk about the film. So just uh, hang with me for just a second. Ah, uh, like I said, the Terminator Two Judgment Day, also promoted as T Two, was produced and directed by James Cameron, who co-wrote the script with William Wisher. The film stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda, Linda Hamilton, Robert Patrick, Edward Furlong, and Joe Morton as its principal cast. It is the sequel, of course, to the 1984 film The Terminator, as well as the second installment in the Terminator franchise. Terminator 2 follows Sarah Connor, in this case Linda Hamilton, and her 10-year-old son John, Edward Furlong, as they are pursued by a new, more advanced Terminator, the liquid metal Memimentic polyalloy, if I'm not mistaken, shape-shifting T-1000, played by Robert Patrick. Sent back in time to kill John and prevent him from becoming the leader of the human resistance. 
A second, less advanced Terminator, in this case Arnold Schwarzenegger, is also sent back in time by the Resistance to protect John. While talks of a follow-up to Terminator arose following its release, its development was stalled due to the technical limitations regarding computer-generated imagery, a vital aspect to the film. And legal issues with, of course, the original Hemdale Film Corporation, who controlled half the franchise rights of Terminator. In 1990, Corelco Pictures acquired the rights from Hemdale, and production immediately began, with Schwarzenegger, Hamilton, and Cameron returning. Principal photography began 1990, October of 1990, and lasted until March of 1991. Its visual effects saw breakthroughs in computer-generated imagery, CGI, including the first use of natural human motion for computer-generated character, and first partially computer-generated main character at the time of its release with a budget of 94 to 102 million dollars terminator 2 was the most expensive film ever made terminator 2 judgment day was released in the united states on july 3rd 1991 that was a pretty quick turnaround for that editing time considering that they finished in march and released in july that's pretty quick uh, in, uh, by TriStar Pictures. It was a critical, critical success upon its release, with praise going towards the performances of its cast, the action sequences, and its visual effects, of course. Regarded as superior to the original film and one of the best sequels ever made. The film influenced popular culture, especially the use of visual effects in films. It grossed $520 million worldwide, becoming the highest grossing film of 1991, and of Arnold Schwarzenegger's career. It received several accolades, including Academy Awards for Best Sound Effects, Editing, Best Sound, Best Makeup, and Best Visual Effects, and the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation Longform. Now, for me, I saw this film back in the theaters in 1991, and being in my second year of college, it blew the tech head away in me away as I tried to figure out how it all was done. Little did I know at the time that it was a breakthrough in the way films would look and how computers would be used in film from that time on. I just remember it just being absolutely incredible to watch. The visuals were stunning. You went, oh my goodness, how in the world did they do this? Jason, what was it like in the UK when Terminator 2 came out and what did you think of it? Very similar. I do remember seeing it as well in the pictures at the cinema when it first came out and a, com- a complete packed house. I remember watching it and it was, it, like you, it blew me away. It's the sort of film you've got to see on the big screen for the visual effects. I knew, I saw some publicity about the effects at the time before I went to see it and was looking forward to see the film. And it did not disappoint. It was one right. of those. I, I could never. I can. It's sort of in the weird times when the cinema was completely silent watching the movie because everyone, everyone was just engrossed in the action. Mm-hmm. And and it was a. It's a superbly well written script. It's one of uh, the. It 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 can mix it up with a number of films with Cameron. The first, I think we've got to think for Fast Terminator Two's effects ago. The for the. The trial run was the abyss with the pseudopod sequence for right. the T one thousand. We got to remember that and how good that was. So after that was such a success, it, it, that was the way that cameras was going to go for the T one thousand. He did something really, you know, one step up from the 
T-800 that Schwarzenegger was in the first film, and it works so well. Robert Patrick did a superb performance. I watched it this week again, and it, 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 the, the, the two were very equal adversaries, and it was a, it was a thoroughly enjoyable experience to watch. And uh, even now, like 30 years on, okay, the effect, effects is even now, CGI is a lot more these days, a lot more... You know, a lot more technology has gone to the special effects works in these de- nowadays, but it still stands out as a as a technical achievement even now. And uh, it is one of those one of those classic movies which you could sit back and just enjoy and be marvelled at how they could do they could do those effects like. In 1991, it sounds like amazingly like a very long time ago now. Well, 30 years. <laughs> I know. It, it feels. <laughs> I just can't believe how it's 30. It's gone 30 years ago by. It, it, amazing. Yeah. But um, but you know it is it is as it is. Terminator 2 is one. It's one of the great sequels. It again, Cameron does a great sequel. Cameron does a good sequel to a film like you know. Yeah. First of all, it was amazing sitting out the, the 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 smaller budget they had, and this absolutely out surpasses it in spades and it's and it, and it shows what a great filmmaker james cameron is and what what he can do and he has a decent script and um and a lot of good people around him and it and it works so so well and unlike and, and like another one of cameron's films like alien which has multiple versions right now, one of the things I do like about uh, about Cameron's work on this film is that he brings out a really good performance in Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm. It's not it's not his cliched performance. It's not uh, 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 just just spouting lines that he's done before. There's a real sympathetic um, character that he's created in Schwar- mm. in in Schwarzenegger's Terminator this time. And it was ex- it was extremely refreshing to watch him not not um, bumble his way through the dialogue. It was very it was very well done, and mm. it was uh, just just I thought that Schwarzenegger probably one of his best performances that I've uh, the, uh, of in recent memory. I mean, I know there's there was a, there's been a couple of other recent films. That have uh, have kind of uh, um, you know put him. Uh, I mean, he's he's not a, a a a amazing actor to begin with, but he's but in this case, I think Terminator Two, um, Cameron was able to get some really good performances out of him, and it's always it's always incredible as well. Oh, oh, but both of them. He uses the same. It's it's, it's the way Schwarzenegger turns starts from being a complete you know the normal Terminator and just suddenly. As the film progresses, it becomes more human. In fact, in a way, the Terminator turns into Arnold Schwarzenegger. There's a couple of bits. Uh, he doesn't. There's not many of those silly, like four-way lines he has in number of things like Commando or yep. Predator. But there's one or two in it. If you look carefully, there's one like he uh, he goes into the police and says, "Hey, hold this." And, uh, <laughs> and and there's that one. I need a vacation, which I thought was an ad lib. I thought it was Arnold Schwarzenegger, like breaking the fourth wall but it found apparently that was in the script and at the end he said oh i need a vacation and it's but it is a superb and also we must not forget linda hamilton who was also touted by cameron apparently before i see if she could get a best uh actress nomination and say where it's the gourney weaver did for aliens with her performance is superb yeah I, going through going through the film considering at the beginning when she's uh, in in the mental hospital 
and she really does turn into this real badass that's towards towards the film realizes that you know about uh you know the, particularly the scene when she tries to kill Di- Di- miles dyson that is mm-hmm. a terrific acting performance she this this woman could really act exactly and 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 like i said even out of edward furlong they was able to get a really good performance and it's not like ed uh, it's not like ed, uh you know edward furlong was a bad actor or is a bad actor um uh, and he but but again cameron is able to bring these these characters and oftentimes and i don't know if you feel this way but oftentimes adding a a kid to the uh, to the mix sometimes will will drag a film down I don't yes. think I don't think Edward Furlong did did that in this case. He was just just mature enough, um, but also he was also you know he also played played the kid up really well as as well. And I thought, yeah, I could I could seriously believe that this was the future the, a future leader of 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 humankind. Yes, it's more more than adolescent than an all-out kid. We've seen films in the past where add a kid to the mix, it really does tone it down a bit. But Cameron manages to do that with children in his films, like for example, Newton Aliens. Oh, Harry for Ed's sure. Performance there, yes. His kids in his films are not the normal type you see in movies that you know dumb dumb them down. Like for, it's a good example, Robocop Three. Mm-hmm. But this, this in, in this case, like in Aliens, the kid is the the, the child actor is cast very well and is very and. And he acts naturally as well. As one, you know, it's you, you can believe that this guy's had a, you know, he's had a bad run. He's, uh, you know, he's had his his his, his mum's his proper mum's in, in the hospital, and he's not very, you know, it is it is nat- it acts naturally. And if it's in that if if in, in that fantastical situation, and it and it, and it works really really well. He's re- he, Edward Furlow was cast well. just cast really well with this film. It's just a shame that his career didn't. Uh, go on as it could have done no it, it is a shame but i mean like i said you you watch his performance in this film and you can see um the beginnings of a of, of a of a really good career unfortunately um mm. that hit it didn't it didn't pan out the way it 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 might have mm. all right so um well we're this is a soundtrack show so let's talk about the score uh, the score by Brad Fidel was commercially released as the Terminator 2 Judgment Day original motion picture soundtrack CD and cassette tape. Yeah, remember those? And contains 20 tracks with a runtime of approximately 53 minutes. The score spent, believe it or not, six weeks on the Billboard 200, reaching a, uh, a peak of number 70. The album was reissued in 2010 by Silver Screen Records and features a collectible booklet. In the DVD commentary, uh, Fidel... Now, is it... Okay. Um, correct me if I'm wrong in this. Is it Fidel or is it Fidel? I think it's Fidel. Fidel. I think it's Fidel. I, okay. I, 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 know, I know I've spoken to him. I, I've kind of forgotten to be honest, but I think, I think it's Fidel. I think uh, it's Fidel. Okay. I don't think, it, I don't think that... He, he, he will not mind. Okay. <laughs> in any case, Fidel uh, mentions that the recurring medical... Or medical? Metal sound. Medical sound. Recurring metal sound in medical. the main title was <laughs> produced... Sort of yes, was produced <laughs> by hitting a cast iron frying pan with a hammer. Um, the music you'll be hearing today is actually from that 20, 2010 silver release. So here we are. Uh, we're going to have a, a, a little bit of a listen to the beginning of uh, Terminator 2 
and we'll be back and we'll be uh, you know kind of reminiscing and going back through all of the 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 great stuff of Terminator 2 as we are celebrating the 30th anniversary of Terminator 2 Judgment Day back in just a bit
And with a little bit of music from, of course, the 1991 film Terminator 2. That's music by Brad Fidel. Well, if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I am on the Twitter at visionsound. I can be reached on my website, visionsinsound.ca, and I can also be found on Apple Podcasts. Uh, including the uh, either iTunes or Apple Music, depending on your your preference, and under, of course, under podcasts. And also, if you go on my website, um, I believe the sale is still on, but there's 35% off um, uh, uh, Visions and Sound swag and Visions and Sound this and Visions and Sound that. Ooh. And uh, so, yeah, go on and uh, be stylish this summer with your Visions and Sound mug and Visions and Sound either shirt or sweatshirt or whatever you want to, whatever you want to see if you can find. Even your kids, they got onesies for the uh, the little ones <laughs> as well. I kid you not. So just uh, think of think of Visions and Sound and your kids as well. In any case, I'm going to buy my visions in one onesie straight away after this show. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome back to the show. And, and thank you. First of all, I want to say thank you to Jason. Um, this was uh, a fantastic uh, uh, film to to kind of rejoin the rejoin the fray. And I know we're, we're going to be doing a couple of a couple of shows in the in the coming month, in the coming weeks. So I just want to say again, thanks for for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you here. I always enjoy getting up at 3.30 in the morning for you. It's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There is five hours difference. Okay, so welcome back to Visions and Sound, as this week we are, of course, celebrating the 30th anniversary of Terminator 2. Now, Terminator 2 use, makes use of computer-generated imagery, CGI, uh, to realize the T-1000. The use of such technology was the most ambitious since 1982 and 1984 science fiction films uh, Tron and The Last Starfighter, respectively, and would be integral to the critical success of the film. CGI was required particularly for the T-1000s, or for the T-1000, a memometic polyalloy liquid metal uh, structure since the shape-shifting character can transform into almost anything it touches. Most of the key Terminator effects were provided by Industrial Light and Magic for computer graphics, Pacific Data Images for optical effects, and Stan Winston for practical effects. Uh, creation of the visual effects cost, this, this boggles my mind, $5 million, only $5 million, and took 35 people, including anima- animators, computer scientists, technicians, and artists, 10 months to produce for a total of 25 man years. <laughs> that's whoa um that's a that's a long anyway that's a long time in any case the lengthy process yielded a total of only five minutes of cgi run run time uh stan winston studios was enlisted to produce articulated puppets and prosthetic effects which also which was also responsible for the metallic skeleton effects of the t-800 ILM's visual effects supervisor, Dennis Muren, a quite a well-known name in visual effects these days, remarked that uh, we still have not lost the spirit of amazement when we see the visual effects on the T-1000 coming up. 
the technical achievements in creating the CGI for the film contributed to the visual effects team being awarded the, ni- in the 1992 Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Now, this was one thing that we uh, we have talked about a couple of times during this during this this uh, this show is that you watch this film today, 30 years on, and it loses nothing. The effects are still as as good as they were back in uh, like uh, uh, and st- even uh, almost jaw dropping the way they were done back in 1991. And considering that t- at that time, a lot of the stuff was kind of being made kind of as they went. So you know there was no there was no um, you know there was no motion capture. There was no. Um, you know, body scanning and that sort of thing. All of this stuff had to be kind of done. Uh, just uh, it, it all had to be kind of done on the uh, life. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Just, uh, it's it's uh, like I said. It's just amazing to think all of this this stuff that and all of the 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 really cool things that uh, that went on and the the things they created. I remember. And I don't know if if um, uh, if this show ever ever showed up in in uh, in the UK, but there was a, a, um, a kind of a movie show, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, unfortunately. But they were talking about the um, that that George Lucas, oddly enough, was interested in in uh, Termin- in Terminator Two and its its CGI character, and well. Uh, <laughs> For good or ill, the T one thousand and it um, was the um, the early days could 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 have been the uh, the the setup for Jar Jar Binks and other characters that would show up in the Star Wars universe as CGI mm-hmm. characters. So yeah, there's there's all of that. Um, what there's a story I remember, and I don't know uh, if you've heard this this story as well. Uh, when the uh, the T one thousand steps through the bars, yep. Um, I can't remember. I think Dennis. I think it was Dennis Muren was in the audience, and there are two guys sitting in front of him, and um, one of them goes, "Oh yeah, I know how they did that," and uh, the other guy goes, "Well, how? How? How did they do that? Jello." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know. At that time, I mean, I, I remember, and 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 again, uh, being in being in broadcasting and in college back in in ninety one, when this film came out, I mean, this was just the, the 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 beginning of of this kind of CGI revolution. I mean, the the mo- the, the biggest thing of of computer graphics that we had in co- in the co- in the college was the uh, the video toaster. And I don't know if you're if you're familiar with the uh, the video toaster. Uh, it was very early uh, computer graphics um, system for the Amiga computer. I've heard of it. And yeah, very very actually, and I think I think Dana Carvey's uh, brother um, or or one of his family members worked on the uh, 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 was was a a major. Uh, developer for the for the video toaster but yeah so so thinking about all of that and and the um the major um impact that t2 had on 
the the, uh, the effects world in general. I mean, it had, it got, it had gone overnight pretty much from um, uh, um, practical effects to uh, to a combination of both for a couple of years. I don't know if you remember there was a um, a film came out shortly after called Sleepwalkers. And yes. uh, it was with all of the uh, the cats. It was a Stephen King film. Yes. And it would it would uh, it, it used a lot of the uh, the morphing techniques and and that sort of thing that were um, prevalent in the uh, in in T two. I mean, I don't think were there any major CGI characters done for I films right un, until Jar Jar Binks in ninety nine. Was, I don't think so. I think a year later, though, from T two, we, we had we had Odo appearing on Deep Space Nine. He that's was, true. That's yes. true. And that was for television. We should have, that was you know amazing. They can actually do that for television. Mm-hmm. I probably had to use the, the effects sparingly, but uh, oh, it was, it's so many movies. I can't I can't remember any offhand. I think you could think of. Um, I think Death Becomes Her had a lot of those sort of effects in it. Yeah, there's that. Yes, um, the, uh, what was the Mickey's film? Uh, I, I could go through and, and find that, find some more. But so there's a couple of couple to hands I, I, I can think of. So yeah, uh, well, the, uh, I you know it, it's funny. I can't help but think of the um, the bit from. I mean, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of CGI characters. The bit that was in um, in Tron. Oh yes, where it's like yes, no, yes. That's basically what the CG, what CGI characters were like back then, and then so t- and, and then T two just took it in a completely different direction. And then like, the computer generated feel of the Last Starfighter. If it, if it felt you were in a com- you were in a video game with the visual effects. Yeah. And then then Babylon Five came along and did try to do all of its effects CGI, and you could see going through the series the improvements and the effects as it went through, as the technology improved. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it was very difficult. It, it took a while for I think a lot of a lot of visual effects in probably up to the two thousands still using models. And I think mm-hmm. we've had a bit more CGI gradually gradually coming, you know, taking over. And I think it was all, all probably early two thousands and finally CGI just did, did all the effects. But everything everything was CGI. And uh, then we had the uh, with, with uh, Lord of the Rings, the and Randy Circus and the motion capture became the thing. The pioneer, the pioneer of motion capture, right? And it, and so and, and and it's developed from there. But we could have a lot to thank to Terminator Two for being like a pioneer of these visual effects. And for mm-hmm. 30, well, I think thirty years on, <laughs> it is still it still stands up so so well. It's a real credit to the film to the make to the visual effects artists. There's some great people like Dennis Moore. Like two years later. He'll be lauded for his effects on Jurassic Park. Yeah, so this is like this is, that's another was another groundbreaking moment of visual effects. Mm-hmm. So they, the, the, these guys have produced some great effects over the years, and and and, it's, and all I think all stemming from the work on Terminator Two. Because I think we wouldn't for Terminator Two, we could not have not have the Star Wars prequels, which is which is well, <laughs> never mind, ne- never mind, but but. Uh, other great movies like Jurassic Park and uh, some, you know, even even Avatar, you could say, is is a is a 
distant cousin or for for one for one from Terminator Two. So many great movies with the visual effects really all stem from what these guys did on Terminator Two Judgment Day. Yeah. No, I, and and like I said, when you consider the 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 technology that was available in 1991, it just it 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 boggles the mind. It wasn't digital. That's one thing. It wasn't. It wasn't the stuff. It wasn't in, internet. The internet wasn't available in 1991. There was no internet. No. And it, it is what you, you got to think about the computer. You can see the computers that look really dated. You've got the, the main frames, the big, the big uh, boxes, the big, the big uh, you know, monitors. Is and, and even you can Dyson's computer at the start. It's very, very basic. It wasn't the stuff we have now. No. And it is, and to have those sort of effects for that sort of system, probably it'd be a lot easier, probably be far easier to do now than obviously when it would be then. But with, with the equipment they had and the technology they had, it's, right. it is, it's, it's a joy to behold. Right. And we have to thank, so, and as I said, it wasn't for this, this film, you wouldn't have some of these special effects blockbusters we have now. Oh, for sure. Now, since, since then. I was just going to say, uh, um, I, I recently watched, and I don't know if you if you're aware of uh, these guys. The, uh, they're called the Corridor Crew. Oh yes, and yes. Uh, they they do you know certain um, viewings of like different uh, good and bad special effects, uh, good and bad um, uh, action films, good and good and bad stunts, and that sort of thing. And they actually tried to recreate the uh, scene from um, Terminator 2 when the T-1000 steps through the bars and the yes. guy the guys thought it was jello um, but no the um, they try so they tried to recreate the scene and it, it wasn't as easy as um, you know it wasn't as easy as you would think with the modern yeah. with modern equipment so it was it was it was actually really kind of cool to see them using modern equipment try to recreate the uh the these these iconic scenes or this iconic scene from Terminator Two. Mm-hmm. And um had had the film been done today, of course it would have been much better. But you have to remember that that uh and I think we'll we'll get to this in a in a little bit because you you were kind enough to provide me some um some wonderful interview segments that you did with uh with Brad Fidel. And uh, he he talks a little bit about the you know there was a courier waiting to pick up the stuff to take it to to Jim or to 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 to, uh, to Cameron. So um, it wasn't like you said, no internet, none of that stuff was available. It was just all just you know, um, and when you th- and and you think about it now, and it's just the innovations in audio and the innovations in. In uh, in sound and visual effects, it's 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 mind-boggling the effect that this film had. Yeah. So we've got a lot we've got a lot to thank it for, and some things we don't thank it for, but it's not, not his fault. But uh, but it, but we we have to thank a lot for Terminator Two Judgment Day for, inc- you know, increasing the use of visual effects and the the brilliance of brilliant visual effects and, and what the and the help the help for the scriptwriter to, to do more stuff in the films. Because a lot of scripts, you know, you can write a script out these days, write a script out even then and say, oh, we can do, you know, it's like a great, it's great script. Well, but we can't do that because we haven't got the technology to do it. They, this was a, this, I think, it helped people write more outlandish scripts, which, which would, 
which the technology was available net then to be done to, to do what was on on the page so we've got a lot to thank terminator 2 for precisely in that, in that respect precisely if, if you get what i mean then, oh no i i know i know ex- i know exactly you it, it basically anything you you realize in your mind can now be reality yeah. i think that may be the best way of the best way of looking at that and uh and so and and this and Terminator Two was the kind of the the first to do that. I remember some uh, somebody telling me that just because you were the first to do something doesn't mean it was yeah, that it's it's the best thing. In this case, yeah, Terminator Two does really stand up and does stand the test of time. I, I go ahead. The, the effects wasn't there in eighty. You know, they would couldn't have done that film on the first on Terminator Two when they did the first Terminator and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't thanks to having having the money, having industrial light and magic involved, you know, and and di- I think digital domain was part of it too. I think right. as well because uh, Cameron set up his own company too. Both of them together produced this well masterpiece. Right. Well, and and the, the, them them taking the chance on uh, something that that potentially could have failed, mm. and uh, you know it, it could have looked really hokey, and it didn't. It re- it really it really worked. Anyway, we're going to get back to the the music of uh, of Terminator Two as we are celebrating the thirtieth anniversary of said film. Um, I'm sure you you recall the um, uh, the the one kind of main song in all of this. I was able to track down a uh, the the CD single of it many many years ago. So I'm going to be playing the uh, the Guns N' Roses song "You Could Be Mine" along with the uh, the rest of the or, or, or another portion of the uh, of the Brad Fidel score, and then we'll come back and we'll play a, a few of the uh, the really cool um, uh, interview segments that uh, you provided for me. And uh, like I said, I really really appreciate that, uh, Jason. It's uh, always my pleasure. It's My pleasure. Always great to uh, to be able to do that. So, like I said, if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. Uh, you can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I'm on the Twitter at visionsound. You can also try me on my website, visionsinsound.ca, and I can also be found in several other places as well, including um, Apple Apple Music or Apple Podcasts. Just type in Visions and Sound into, a ser- into your search engine in um, iTunes or Apple Music and look for me under Podcasts. So I'm going to continue on with some more music from the Terminator 2 soundtrack. This did not actually appear on the soundtrack proper, but was released, as I said, like a uh, a, uh, a CD single. So this is uh, Guns N' Roses with uh, You Could Be Mine, and then we'll continue on with some more music from um, the soundtrack uh, to Terminator 2 as we're celebrating the 30th anniversary, 30 years of this wonderful... Oh, this really? wonderful it's, 30 years? It's mind-boggling when you think about oh. it. In any oh, case, so so here we go with some uh, music from, uh, more music from Terminator 2, and we'll be back in just a little bit.
This is the big one. For the whole month of June, Long & McQuaid Musical Instruments is having our spectacular Monster Days sale with all sorts of in-store and online specials and six months no-interest financing. Choose curbside pickup, delivery, or when permitted, just come on in where we're keeping things safe. Monster Days all month long, only at Long & McQuaid. Long & McQuaid, where the music begins. Go to long-mcquaid.com to find out more. To protect yourself and the people you care about from COVID-19, get vaccinated. It's your best shot against the virus. Studies have shown it is safe and effective. Find out more, including when you can get the shot and where to get it. Visit www.regionofwaterloo.ca slash vaccine. A message from the Region of Waterloo. 98.5 CKWR.
with some music from, of course, the wonderful 1991 film Terminator 2. That's music by Brad Fidel. If you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I am on the Twitter at visionsound. You can also try me at my website, visionsinsound.ca, and this is where the show will show up in about, probably about... An hour, an hour and a half's time after, uh, after the, the, after definitely after, probably definitely after three o'clock for sure. And all of that, uh, I, you can go on my, on my store cause it's still 35% off. There's still some wonderful stuff there that you can check out. Shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, onesies, ones. Yeah. Onesies. <laughs> exactly. You know, get your kids stylish this summer. Come on. Help a guy out. In any case, uh, <laughs> um, uh, what else? Oh yes, and I'm also on uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, just type in "Visions in Sound" into uh, iTunes or Apple Music, and I can and the show can be found under podcasts. <sighs> Thirty years, Jason. We were young men back then. Very young. <laughs> very young. <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> um, <sighs> Beggar's belief. Has Beggar's has the theater going experience changed that much in in uh, in in thirty years? I think it has. Well, it probably has in the last year because of uh, you know what. But, oh, for uh, sure. Yes, but um, I think uh, well, it was uh, is. I don't think as many blockbusters as good as this. If you've seen blockbusters come and go over the years, some have been terrific to worth watching. This one really was an event. Yeah. And and to be, to be fair to James Cameron films, when they do come out, they are events. Exactly. Like, like, like Titanic, like Avatar, like True Lies. You know, you, you, James Cameron's name on, is in the director's chair. You go and see it. And uh, that's in my opinion. You, 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 know, you expect something good from a James Cameron film. And to be fair... Despite all the problems he has, you know, making these films, he he really fails to disappoint. Okay, Avatar may have been a little bit disappointing, in in, but I, I assume it was good. But he had his flaws. But you know, put a lot of his films in his flaws. He's not exactly the greatest of screen writers. He's a good story, but to be fair to Cameron, he's a great storyteller. Oh, for sure. And and and, and if and so he every film with Cameron's name on it has has to be always worth looking at. Um. Hopefully, in time, when things settle down a bit, we will get more of these blockbusters come out and we'll get more people in to see. The last film I saw a film last, I actually went to the cinema last week, and uh, there, was only five people, there was only five people in the cinema, and I was, uh, I was, I got it for nothing because I was, it was for work for myself, my 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 care work. So, right. um, but it, it was still, still, but it was still a good experience. So, uh, sooner or later, hopefully. We, we, we can everything will settle down and we'll be able to go back to the cinema and enjoy these these films like you have to it feels like Terminator 2 we have to be screen seen on the big screen I agree. the last film the last film I could see recently which I think I, I would love to have seen the big screen but is the uh, good cases like King Kong versus Godzilla you've got to see that on the big screen because okay it's not like it might script it but it's a lot of two two monsters fighting each other but it's sort of the, the visual spectacle of it was amazing exactly you know, on the television so we really hopefully in time we, we shall return to the big screen but i think overall to, as a, you know it's it, it, it's set up it, it, it's 
Terminator 2 set a high watermark for what a blockbuster can do. And it's not many, and uh, the ones that do, it's not many films, I think, since then, have reached that watermark. I think all part for like the Jurassic Park films and, few, and probably a couple of others, I'm sure, not speaking to mind at the moment, but the legacy of Terminator 2 was a high watermark it, it gained for, you know, for, for the visual experience of for the sure. film. And uh, you must thank you for that. For sure. No, like like I said, I, and I'm glad you brought this up because, or I'm, I'm glad you, you went in that direction with the the idea of not many blockbusters anymore. Of course, but the, the problem is, is that, you know, we haven't been able to, to go to the theater to see the blockbusters. Exactly. So the thing is, is that, you know, and, and when I mentioned the idea of, you know, uh, how, how has the viewing viewing um, experience changed in 30 years? I think the screens are bigger, obviously. The sound is bigger, um, better and, better. and better. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I am surprised. I seem to recall, and I can't remember for sure if it was early this year or th- there was some kind of event where Terminator Two was going to be shown on the big screen, and it didn't happen because mm. of the whole COVID pandemic thing. Yes, I think going to. Sh- I think if I remember rightly, and I may be wrong, I think Brad Fidel was hoping to, to show, I think, the Terminator 2 or one or two of their films at the Royal Albert Hall. One of those uh, music to picture performances that had, had was cancelled. Oh. So hopefully that, that, that will happen event- happen eventually. But I think, I think, I think, going back to my previous answer, I think the closest we've had to a real event film recently, in my opinion, is the stuff on the MCU, particularly the Avengers Affinity War and Endgame. Yeah, I think they've really been the closest, really, event sort of movies you can you could uh, relate to in terms of like Terminator Two. Exactly, uh, yeah, one of those one of, like the the films that that everybody wants to go see and are almost you know it's funny I remember advertising for Terminator Two being almost everywhere. It was like almost almost like the uh, the the eighty nine Batman. Yeah. Um, just being, just, just being everywhere you turned, you'd see that, that, that iconic, uh, shot of term of, uh, of Schwarzenegger on the bike with the, uh, um, yep. with it, with the shotgun and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, it was, it was everywhere. You, 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 you couldn't miss it. You couldn't miss but, it. Uh, but I wonder if, you know, I think it kind of ruined some of the plot at the beginning of the film. Because exactly. if you had the older expedition of uh, Robert Patrick being the Terminator, if you see the start of the film, I was thinking it when I saw it, when I saw it again this week, it, it, it missed that suspense of the two Terminators coming around. And I think Cameron filmed it in a way that you weren't supposed to know who was the good guy or the bad guy. Was Tom Schwarzenegger still the bad guy? Or was this was Robert Patrick the good guy? You weren't, you did not know until Schwarzenegger says, get down. Right. With, uh, and that's and that plot point went out the window because all the publicity about Robert Patrick being this new T one thousand. Right. Because that's how that's sure. how Cameron filmed it, and it's a shame that, that we did, we weren't given that, you know, that suspense in the cinema knowing who's one, which one is the good guy, which one's the bad guy. That's how. In fact, kind of think of it. I just read somewhere that what Michael Bean was touted to be the T one the the T one thousand, and it would have been a a swap between the you know because Bean Michael Bean was Carl Reese. Mm-hmm. The original that would have been very interesting. You can see both of them again together, and, and then they swap round. One was the one Carl Reese, the, Michael Bean was a bad, bad Terminator, and sort of was a good Terminator. But that all went out the window thanks for the publicity to put the Patrick, who we kind of forgot about saying he was absolutely superb in that film as the uh, 
T1000 and a career defining performance. He was so good, and we've got a really his performance as the as the villain has to be has to be recommended. So he was so 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 good. It's so so good as the T1000. The film if it was a, a, he needed a really good actor to play that role, and he did it so so well. Okay, for sure. Now, Jason, you provided me very very nicely uh some of the uh the uh, some excerpts from your uh your interview with brad fidel and so what i'm going to do is i'm going to play a, f- uh, a few um the, the the segments there and then we'll come back and we'll discuss what uh what uh, mr fidel had to say so here is thank you jason very much again um excerpts from your interview with brad fidel yeah, it was just mad scientist in his lab, in the laboratory, maybe, as you would say, right? Um, what The first thing I did was I write, wrote the melody at the piano. The theme is actually a very human theme in its own way, and I think the combination of that with all the sounds you're talking about is, what, is why th- that particular score... And again, without patting myself on, on the back, it's social media many years later that has taught me people were moved by that score. I had no way to know that. The film, I got a nice, some nice reviews on my work for the film through the media, but I didn't know that all these fans out there were touched by that music. So I think the part that really touched them, almost whether they know it or not, was a certain sat- majestic sadness about the melody. But then I'm thinking, well, here's this melody on the piano, very simple, but okay, you know, this is what the picture looks like and what the story is and all that. So I realized I needed to kind of find some sounds that... I was hearing stuff in my imagination that didn't exist. Let's put it that way. So my test was to just play around until I... with knobs and buttons and real things until I got something where I would go, okay, that's it. And that would get into the score. I mean, one of the classic ones was the clank, the metal clank. And I tried some early samples of anvils. And the clink was just not as epic as I wanted it to be. So I played around and played around. Nothing worked. Everything sounded really clinky, not clank. You know, not like this sound that I wanted. Now, you know, there's a million samples. In fact, my sound is probably out there. You can get it. But basically what I did was I took a a cast iron frying pan, put it in front of a pretty cheap microphone and hit it really hard with a hammer from the back with the open part of the pan kind of surrounding the microphone. And it sort of distorted. And when I put a little reverberation on it, that was it. You know, and I said, okay, that's it. So I just kind of did that with every sound that I needed. Like, what is this? What is the heartbeat of this intelligent machine sound like? And I just kept saying, okay, that's too obvious. And then came up with this boom, 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 boom. boom that you could be in a scene without interrupting the scene. It was just kind of underneath. And there was. When it sat by itself, it sounded too naked, so it needed support. So I came up with these kind of undulating presences. It's like like he had this em- this stuff emanating from him, this kind of vibe. Oh, well, thank you. Admittedly, I'm I'm to the left 
politically liberal, bleeding heart liberal, whatever you want to call it. But when he became the governor of California, and he's a good guy, this is just a joke, but but I, I did say to people when they were like, can you believe Arnold's the governor? I said, if I had any small part in that, I apologize. <laughs> Ross Levinson, and I, and I have to say something, he's a dear friend. We don't see each other much. We live in different places. And through social media and some of the technology, we've recently been able to connect, and that's been great. So I was in New York, and I went to a bar where an old friend of my family's was playing with a band. And at the time, I had a, a score to do about a graffiti artist in the New York subways. And I was like, how am I going to do this? You know, I, I I need certain sounds. Same deal like we were talking about for Terminator. I heard certain things in my imagination and I wasn't necessarily able to create them with the dynamics and human aliveness that I wanted. So one thing I imagined was this instrument that was kind of like an electric guitar sound, but it could just literally... In New York, when the, it's way noisier in the subways than the, the London tubes especially back then. And when a, a subway would hit even a gentle turn, there was this squeal of the metal. They didn't have coated wheels. They had metal wheels. And it would come around a corner. So the sound of the New York subways was this high-pitched kind of screech of metal coming around a corner. And I thought, oh, man, I want something that can sound like that and then all of a sudden be playing like... Because the, the characters were really young and edgy, can play this kind of cool, sort of like electric guitar solo, but not. And then I went to the, hear this band, and I'm hearing these sounds. They sounded like, I said, I was thinking, is that a, do they have, there's no brass section here. What am I hearing? I kept hearing all these things and not understanding where they were coming from. And then I moved closer and watched a little closer. And this guy who was playing this crazy electric violin and he had all these pedals, it was him. And that was Ross Levinson. So I actually brought him on to play first on this TV movie. I think it ended up being called Dreams Don't Die. Maybe it's out there in DVD or something. We just worked together so well, and there was such an overuse in the 80s of electric guitar that he was like my secret weapon. I just thought, man, I don't have to rethink this every time. He can make a lot of different sounds. So he was a great soloist that would add his incredible technique and sounds to my scores and bring this element of improvisation and liveness to the scores because synth scores can sound kind of stiff as we know so he brought the, the life and there were other musicians eventually i used too on wind instruments and whatever but he was the first guy where i just said you know there's many scores that he could work on whether it was a score about kids in ireland because uh, then then he could do the irish fiddle sounds you know there was just a lot so we ended up collaborating a whole lot and then we became writing partners because i was getting busy and i would be hired to create the music for a certain television series but i didn't have time to score the episodes so ross became you know i brought him in as a trusted collaborator and he got full screen credit or whatever for everything he wrote but i would the producers were coming to me, so I would kind of oversee it and, you know, do some little bit of directing and input. But he's just a really talented guy on so many levels. Well, it was great. I mean, obviously, the first Terminator was a super low budget. 
This, at the time, was the most expensive movie ever made. At the moment, it was at about $100 million. And Jim, I always call him Jim, but Mr. Cameron uh, would come, and I was in my little uh, refinished garage in Studio City where my studio was, and he said, Brad, you know, this is a, I've said this before, but it is kind of classic. He said, you're scoring the most, when the budget hit a certain point, he came in one day, he said, you're now scoring the most expensive movie ever made in your garage. So what had happened in the garage, to tie that together, is that as his budget increased and his ability to do these amazing cutting-edge visuals uh, developed, sound and music technology had also developed. It was still archaic compared to now, but I was able to do some to match his increase in scope of the film visually effects wise and story wise a lot more heart in a sense uh because there's this this young boy involved and of course the terminator was friend instead of foe uh arnold's character so it shifted the energy quite a bit so i wanted a bigger warmer sound and i was able to do that by using some of the the newer sampling technology and taking sounds of real strings and real brass and real instruments and manipulate them so it still was the Terminator. They couldn't be totally normal by my imagination. They always had to have this kind of, I don't know, it's kind of uh, of this projection of the technology that's behind the whole story, artificial intelligence and all that was involved, which is one of the reasons ultimately right in the middle, we were still questioning whether to add orchestra. And we decided both time-wise at the time, it would have been a real challenge, but also technologically and aesthetically, we felt that what was coming out of my studio really did work for the visuals without the orchestra. There's There are certain things that happened. Make a long story short, I have my music in my studio. When I do a CD release, I am mixing the stuff that I have from my 24-track into a release, right? Uh, a stereo for release. As far as I can tell, because I put everything on the CD from my studio that I thought was viable for record. I didn't skip the first third of the film, actually. Um there are cues that represent that early stuff. Now, this is a long time since I even listened to that CD or looked at the label, so bear with me. One thing that happened that I think is why people feel m music is missing is that as often happens with film music, when, and I was in a separate place than Jim, he was mixing the film up at Skywalker Ranch in Northern California. I was shipping tapes to him. The, the, the visual effects were coming in last minute. Things were looking and editing a little bit differently than they had when I original, originally scored them. So my music editor was up there with the old analog tapes. We didn't have digital at that point as far as the, the film sound was concerned, cutting things and making them work. And there was a cue that I created that Jim just fell in love with. And it was um, originally, I think, scored for the chase through the mall, possibly. But it was this it was the music that really reflected the T2, the T1000's amazing ability to run and move fast, right? Um, just on his own feet. And it had that energy. And I believe that Jim. Again, this is where I wasn't there and I haven't analyzed this, but I think he took some of my cues and he kind of 
altered them through editing and whatever and took the sounds of the cue that he really loved and superimposed them on certain areas in the first part of the film where I didn't actually write them for. So it's still all my music, but I didn't have it in my studio because it was transferred to film stock and he kind of created these cues for certain moments that people have experienced in the film. It finally just occurred to me recently. I get it. They're looking for the music as they heard it in the film and and I don't have a way to recreate that in my studio because it doesn't exist on my 24 track master it was created on film stock editing wise in the final mix of the film so somebody could and I think someone might have bootlegged where they take the actual soundtracks from the actual film and transfer those to stereo from the different format that they're in and that would be the way for the fans to get to hear the music exactly as it was in the film. I have no, I have no way to do that myself. And that's uh, Brad Fidel. Thanks very much to uh, Jason Drury. His uh, he, he did an interview for uh, his show, The Archive. If, that, if I'm not mistaken, that's what it was for. Well, it's for an interview show. It's going to have a new title coming up in due time, but it's, for, it's just an interview with Brad Fidel. You can hear the whole interview. If you want to hear more what some of the questions I was asking, I got those answers on the cinematicsound.net. You can hear Brad Fidel's special show I did on Brad Fidel some, I think last year, I think it was now. It was mid, it's May last year, I think I spoke, talked to Brad. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to him. And uh, there was a little clips about him. He was talking at the beginning about uh, how he got the Terminator and how he worked on the Terminator. And also somebody we did not mention, haven't mentioned yet, we should have to mention because he was a really important part of both scores, Ross Levinson, yes. who, who was uh, who was played the electric violin on, on Terminator and Terminator 2, and that's how they met. Then uh, when we talked, then we when he talked about the uh, Terminator 2, how he worked on Terminator 2, and you know this amazing high budget score which he composed in his garage, which is <laughs> that's ama- it's amazing to think of. He was a le- the shoes budgets, and he kind of probably saved them there, but helped help with the budget because he was, the, the, the music budget was very, very low, I expect, because even though he had now the chance, he had the, off- off- he had the office offer to do it with an orchestra, but he decided to get the really high-tech electronics to keep that electronic continuity. Right. And at the end, and the last and the last segment there, was him talking about the soundtrack album, which a lot of people would probably... A lot of people out there realise the fact the first third of the film is not on the original soundtrack release. Right. There's a lot of stuff. It starts the release starts with um, with Sarah Connor's escape from the mental institution, yep. or t- attempt to escape mental institution, and people probably people wondering what happened to that was that music. Well, that's that's partly the answer what uh, Brad Fidel gave is he just he, he just came out what was available to him. So. A lot of that stuff is probably trapped from other sections of that score from the beginning, particularly the uh, the mall chase, as you mentioned. But uh, I mean, a lot of probably one day when we'll have another new release, hopefully some of that music from the uh, the first, I think the first act of the film would appear on on disc for the first time, which would be terrific. Then, then, then we'll have the definitive release of Terminator 2 on the soundtrack. In the same way, we've now got the definitive release of the first Terminator film. Of course. Well, we're going to hear a little bit more of the uh, of the release of, uh, of Terminator 2, and we'll be back to well, pretty close to wrapping up the show. So here's a little bit more music from Terminator 2.
Wow. Reaching the end of the program once again, but uh, that's all for me this week. Thanks for hanging in, those that did. Now, uh, Jason, what have you got coming up for you just in, in about a minute? Well, what's coming up, you should be hearing soon an interview I did with Austin Wintory, and um, edit, I'm finishing off also an interview I did with Bruce Broughton. Both of them are going to be two-part shows. I'm also working on a couple of archive specials, one with Eric, Sonny Verez Band, and also a regular archive show. Recent, talking of which, the uh, latest uh, quartet archive special we, I did with Chris Ballone is out, so that's where we're listening, particularly for the Nicholas Rochers score for the private office Sherlock Holmes, which I thought is absolutely amazing. It's a great quartet release there. I've also recently done an interview with uh, Stephen S. Smith concerning his book on Max Steiner, which I'll be starting editing in due time. And it was a very, it was a pleasure to talk to him. So, uh, of course, there's more interviews down the line, and so there's plenty of stuff from me coming up very soon on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Awesome. Well, uh, before I end off today's show, I hope you're as you're getting on with your day that you realize just how awesome you are. Never let anyone tell you any different, and if you're ever not feeling right, people are out there that that care about you and are willing to chat. If not family, then some professional who can help. As Rocky said, nobody hits harder than life. I know from personal experience just how hard it is for me to sit behind this mic week after week when I feel like no one's listening. I would never have made it this far without the support of a huge team of people behind me. If you or someone you know is in uh, is in crisis and needs help resources are available in case of emergency please call 911 for immediate help the canadian association for suicide prevention depression hurts and kids help phone at 1-800-668-6868 all offer ways of getting help if you or someone you know may be suffering from mental health issues so join me join us actually yeah. next week as we head into july and celebrate the 50th anniversary of Dirty Harry. Hmm. If you think if you think you've felt old 30 years on Terminator, you can be feel really old <laughs> next week. It's 50 years. <laughs> well, I'll end off this week's uh, show with some more music from, of course, Terminator 2. And uh, we'll be back next week with more Visions in Sound. <laughs>